0: Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy, and we're starting to see things get messy now in the CRC. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say thank you to all those who have sponsored us on Patreon. We are slowly working our way toward our goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue putting out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Laura Copley. So, Laura, why don't you kick us off? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and where you're doing ministry.
1: Okay, so thank you, Jason and Willie. Uh, my name is Laura Copley, and I'm so delighted to join you guys on this um, interview podcast. It's been part of my favorite routine Um to listen to your podcasts um, when you drop them on Mondays. And I'm doing my laundry uh, for the past number of months. I've really been enriched by all the different stories and the wisdom from the guys that you've interviewed. So my name is Laura Copley. I'm married to Joel Copley. Um, we married in 1999 and uh, we have four kiddos, uh, two boys who will be at Dort College. And then my daughters are uh, in sixth and seventh grade. And I serve as a ministry trainer and pastoral um, um, instructor for Classes Red Mesa uh, Leadership Development Network.
0: Yeah, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about um, how you ended up in Red Mesa.
1: Okay, oh, well, you know, that's a long story. Um <laughs> Because we have had some technical difficulties, and and I I shared it. So I'll try to give you a little tighter version uh, the second time around. But we we first moved out here between 2002 and 2005, and um, mostly that was for my husband's um, student teaching, and also I um, was being fruitful and multiplying uh, right after seminary and um, (laughs) getting to just help in various um, capacities with the the school here um, in Rehoboth. And then the Lord called us back up to Michigan. And um, in 2014, when I was doing like a year assignment with Woodlawn CRC in Grand Rapids, we had gotten the news that um, my brother, who's the pastor here at Rehoboth, um, his, his wife, and our 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 families, my brother Rob Biker and and myself, um, uh, we have kids about the same age. Each four kids and about the same age, and we've been very close to them. Uh, we learned that my sister in law had a uh, brainstem tumor and was given a year to live, and so um, we wanted to move back down to this area in order to be a support for for um, the the family going through that very intense, um, struggle. by, by God's grace, Lisa actually, um, lived another seven years. So wow. totally, uh, d- defied the, the odds and the doctor's predictions in 2015, we, it, we were looking at hospice and things were looking really intense that, um, that um, we we may be saying goodbye, and yet God uh, worked a miracle and gave us another additional six years. And so I'm just um, so grateful for every one of those extra days that we were yeah. able to, to um, be as families together and be blessed by Lisa's life.
0: Amen. And so you had mentioned you're part of uh, LDN. I don't know if you yes. mentioned that this time or last time. So how did you get involved <laughs> with LDN?
1: Well, yeah. So originally um, it was just being my brother's substitute because he, he was an instructor and a coordinator for the leadership development network um, here. And then when we moved down, I said, Rob, just put me to work. However, I can be helpful. Um, And sometimes, you know, the help was maybe primarily uh, doing dishes and, and folding clothes, but, um, but in There were certain times where my brother needed me for pulpit supply or um, to take a different, like, um, profession of faith journey or um, uh, wedding. Um, But the biggest area that he asked if I could, that he passed the baton to me on was his work leadership development. And originally I did it with the mindset of, okay, I'm just a fill-in for Rob Biker. And then I realized, no, God is behind this. God's orchestrating this. And God has things that he wants me to learn through uh, this particular work in this particular place, and also areas where he's um, prepped me to be be useful um, as in, in leadership training.
0: Yeah. And you had mentioned uh, in our, you know, in take one of this recording (laughs) that that LDN kind of uh, grew out of this need for pastors in the churches, which seems to be a pretty common need throughout the world. When I talk to missionaries in Mm -hmm. Africa or the Dominican Mm -hmm. Republic, Mm -hmm. they're saying we don't have enough pastors and the pastors we do have need training. And so, yes, you said that's where LDN kind of grew out of in Red Mesa.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, You know, Red Mesa was originally under like the umbrella of Home Missions. It was a Home Missions um, and our school, too, was was actually coupled together with the, the work that Home Missions did. And then that decoupling happened, I believe, in the 80s. And also, um, I think Red Mesa itself was part of Classis Rocky Mountain and was easily kind of absorbed into the larger. I mean, Classis Rocky Mountain was huge because my dad, who was a home missions pastor and planted a church in San Antonio, Texas, our mother, our calling church, our mother church, I think, was third CRC in Denver. And so, like, <laughs> it, it just a really large um, swath of land. And it was easy, I think, for... Uh, folks in New Mexico and Arizona to feel a little bit like um, just swallowed up in in the the the, the stronger um, church life of what was going on in, in um, north of the border in Colorado. So anyway, when when Classis Red Mesa became its own entity, um, and as as the the heart was to say, Hey, we can't just be relying on uh, folks from Grand Rapids to supply us with, with pastors. Like we, we need to um, have folks who are really grassroots connected to, to our concerns, our um, experience, our community. And um, there was different, I think, avenues that that, that that was attempted, but really once, uh, in 2008 was, was when, um, the classes said, you know, like we can't just keep doing this hodgepodge effort of trying to raise up leaders. We're going to be very intentional about, um, about having solid, solidly trained leaders in our, um, in our churches because over half of the churches were vacant and, and still we struggle with um, vacancy issues. Sometimes I think, I know this is not right exegesis, but I think of that verse, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And I feel like there was a, our some of our churches on the reservation really um, had gone through just a tremendous spiraling decline. And I think it's because we had no um, shepherd. Shep, shepherding presence. Mm-hmm. It, um, I, I give a lot of credit to the lay leaders who did a, um, a, a mammoth work of keeping the churches going. And yet, there there is something. Scripture says that God gave pastors and elders, you know, and teachers and evangelists as gifts for His bride. And when you don't have those those gifts, the the body suffers.
0: Yeah. So now you said that started in 2008. So we're okay. like 14 years later. Are you seeing the the fruit of that ministry in the churches yes. now?
1: Yeah. So I think we've got like 27 individuals who have a license to exhort um, in our classes. Like we had our first graduating LDN class in 2011. So it's been about 10 years. And one of the encouraging things that has been developing is the fact that, um, other, other Indigenous communities have uh, noticed, taken notice of the, the way that we um, um, have our, our leadership program. And so we've had students from, from um, the Lawton, Oklahoma area, uh, representing the Kiowa, Apache, and Comanche tribes as well, join and Skype into our program. And so that's been um, very encouraging to see Uh, In fact, this one uh, pastor out of um, Comanche RCA Church, like they were wondering about folding their uh, folding the church, closing their doors. Um, And I went to worship with them shortly after Thanksgiving this past year. And it was so beautiful because not only was every seat in this little church filled, but um, you there were two Sunday schools happening in the basement underneath And you could hear the kids singing, you know, and uh, and they have a very vibrant connection to the prison ministry as well. And, um, yeah, it's just so the pastor of that church, um, Ed, is he's going to uh, he's going through our preaching um, portion of the program. And God really is just doing some wonderful replication discipleship work um, through through what he's doing. And by God's grace, what um LDN has been privileged to help with some training on for him as well.
0: Amen. That's a that's a beautiful testimony to just faithful discipleship and how mm-hmm. that builds up the church and yeah. how it just kind of spreads like leaven through a, yeah. through a batch of dough. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now, now you mentioned uh kind of briefly a while ago that your dad was a home missions pastor. So I'd love to yes. hear about um you kind of have you grown up in the CRC or kind of what's been your connection with the CRC?
1: Yeah. Okay, so uh here's the big reveal. Um my great grandpa so five greats back is Everett Zagers who came over with uh Vinralti on the first boat. Um, from, from, the, or with the off actually. And then he helped start the, um, Groska CRC church. So he was one of those names in 1857 that, um, helped kind of birth. Wow. Uh, what we now know as the, the Christian reform denomination. So yeah, wow. my roots in the CRC go way back. Um, my dad's a CRC pastor. My brother's a CRC pastor. My great uncle's a CRC pastor. Um, and, uh, I, I am, what's interesting though, is I, not until I went to Dork college, was I ever really in any kind of traditional CRC community. Like I was born, um, in a small Mississippi river town that was not like part of any CRC bubble exactly. Um, and then when my dad, when I was nine, my dad planted this church in San Antonio, Texas, um, where we lived for four years. And that also, uh, was a very, you know, very Bible belt, a very, we went to a Southern, well, we first went to a church of Christ, non-instrumental school. Um, and then we went to, uh, a Southern Baptist school. And wow. if you say you're reformed, they're like, what Re- reform school? like what 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 are you in trouble for um mm-hmm. and then and then i try to say something like oh okay well just think of have you ever seen the crystal cathedral with robert schuler like think of that without the robes and that's totally it's totally different <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that's a, a fifth grader trying to make sense of of her world but um and then my dad was the first pastor of a of a new church plant um in in Mount Vernon Washington just north of of Seattle which also wasn't i would say you know a predominantly crc like stronghold area so i didn't it really experience i always experienced a little bit of um yeah just maybe being outside of that institutional yeah. sense of of the crc until i went to dort and then ended up at at calvin seminary
0: Well, that's kind of been my experience as well. I think I've shared that multiple times um, that actually growing up, my dad kind of had this, he really didn't enjoy his time in the CRC. So we had this intentional, like we will not be CRC kind of a thing. So like I, and, uh, and we didn't intentionally move to places that weren't C we actually kind of naturally were always next to a CRC hub, Mm -hmm. just because that's where family was. So I was in uh, I lived like outside of Bozeman, Montana, and there's, you know, a little mm. church hill and, and, and mm-hmm. there's some, but we were never part of the CRC churches there. Mm. And, uh, you know, probably now where I'm at in Beaverdam, not that Beaver Dam is a CRC hub, but Waupun and Randolph and Alto, there's like five or six It's a little mini CRC hub. But my church again is, is uh, kind of the out, not in a bad way, but the outsider church that where we're, we planted in Beaverdam and it's primarily a Catholic and Lutheran Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. church. So Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know, like being someone who's kind of grown up on the outskirts, I suppose, of the CRC, how do you think that's kind of shaped the way you view our denomination?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, so one, I always felt like um, there was this, this really beautiful body of, of Christ. So, so um, in some ways I probably didn't have like this appreciation for, for the reformed heritage um, until I got to, to Doric college and uh, took Calvin's institutes and read through the institutes. And I I think, I think I really, um, you know, like my, my close friends in San Antonio, Texas, they were they were Baptist or non-denom or charismatic. In fact, my own parents were um, renewed in their faith. Their faith was made very fresh for them through um, through the charismatic movement in the nineteen seventies. Um, and my mom had gone to like a Catholic school um, for for a year after high school. Um, and so, you know, my my folks. Uh, well, and in San Antonio, that's the predominant, um, world is, is the Catholic. Um, so, so yeah, having, having friends and having connections in a more ecumenical kind of, um, expression of God's body, I think was, was, was a beautiful thing actually. And it really gave me an appreciation for the, the, um, ways that God is working in his people in these different, in these different branches. But, but I also think that it probably caused me a bit to, to poo poo on my own um, theological heritage. And I think I, I went in to uh, Calvin's institutes with a lot of um, suspicions that this was going to be dry and it was going to be just scholastic. And um, it was, you know, uh, it's, it's hyper intellectualism or something. And so it's going to kill my faith. I, I don't know where I, I pick, I think it's just in the water, maybe, uh, that those sorts of assumptions. Um, and then, you know, I mean, me being a 19 year old reading through through Calvin, I, I fell in love with this guy. It's like, Oh, if only I was born back in the, in the mid 1500s, you know, (laughs) what a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I (laughs) I just, I, you saw a pastoral heart, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the warmth, the warmth of the institutes and also um, in his commentaries. And so actually my, my sophomore year of Dort, I was invited to um, do a, um, Overseas semester in the Netherlands. And I remember saying to Professor Boot, I was like, why would I want to go to someplace that has more Dutch people than Sioux Center, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I'm so glad that the Lord gave me that opportunity to study at the Free University and to study um, in the Netherlands because I, I got um, this this beautiful appreciation for the gift that, I mean, the Bible says, right, that, that God uh, puts people in their times and their places, you know, for his glory. And, and I think there was a time where I'd look at my Hispanic friends and think, oh man, they have such a cool heritage. And all I have are only bowling and windmills, you know? Um, And yet I, when, when I studied there in in the, the Netherlands um, and really got to appreciate, you know, the time and place that God had put me in and um, appreciate the heritage. The, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Yeah. Is kind of where I ended up coming out of that semester.
0: Well, and that's it's just I, I asked the question because one of the things that really has struck me and I didn't even know it coming into Uh, doing many of the interviews that I've done over the last couple of years, or that we've done, a lot of the people I've talked to actually didn't grow up in the Christian Reformed Church. And I Mm -hmm. assumed that they did, because they have such a love and passion for it. And so there's kind of this interesting dynamic, and we know this, that you can grow up with things and then easily take them for granted. Yes. And so if you grow up in the CRC hubs of you know grand rapids and and sioux center and and there's multiple other places um you can easily take take it for granted and get frustrated with it and mm-hmm. um and then you people who haven't grown up with that come in from the outside and they're mm-hmm. saying, "No, no, no, this is really beautiful and so yeah. like for me too growing up in a I grew up in a baptist church and and I went to school at a Baptist college and I've been connected with my wife grew up catholic so all my in-laws are catholic and so i've been interacting with all these different branches of christendom and so that gives me kind of this uh, ecumenical feel like i'm i'm willing to work with people talk with people and yet it's also given me a greater love and appreciation for what we actually have here because i can right. see like i can see some of the there are some beautiful things about catholicism and i think we have to be able to recognize that but i can also see how they fall off the rails in certain areas and how yeah. we've kind of held certain things together. And so <laughs> it gives me this opportunity, I feel, to be ecumenical, but also really love um, what we have here in the Christian Reformed Church.
1: Yeah, those distinctives. Absolutely. And I think something that also helped me um, appreciate the the, the distinctives. Um, so my husband, he didn't grow up uh, not only in the reform tradition but any church um, tradition at all. Um, and so he came to faith as uh, it, it, um, he was baptized when he was 19 years old. actually my mom helped disciple my um, my now husband and so you know once your mom falls in love with somebody first, I mean it's all over <laughs> right like, <laughs> but uh, so you know seeing Joel, when he, he had started at Dort for a year and then he finished up um, at Calvin College and like like learning the faith with fresh eyes, right? And everything, I mean, I remember him saying um, just a, a few months after giving his life to the Lord and he had started at, at Dort, he was like, you know, you Christians speak in a whole new vocabulary, half the time, I don't even know what you're saying, (laughs) but, um, it was, it was also really exciting for him. And I think that some of the things that I had taken for granted, being able to walk alongside with Joel helped me, uh, realize, you know, this is, um, his fresh faith helped encourage my faith, uh, to be renewed, if that makes any sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's, it's one of the the beautiful things that happens through uh, it just in churches in general, when they have evangelistic growth. Um, we just we just had a new family join our church recently um, and literally just became Christians in the last year Uh husband, wife, kids. And so um, and then to sit and uh, the one that has struck out lately is sitting and praying with them yeah. and hearing and hearing their just and this isn't in a bad way, just their childlike prayer that um, they just, they're sometimes new believers can be afraid to pray in front of people. Cause like, I don't know what to say, but these, this new family hasn't, they just start praying and it's just, Oh, it's beautiful. I just remember yeah. sitting there thinking, ah, this is, this is such a good thing because they, they don't have any of the jargon. They don't have any mm-hmm. of the hedge of protection kind of stuff going mm-hmm. on. They just, they just say it like it is. And, and it's, mm-hmm it's really a beautiful thing and that kind of joy and excitement starts to spread through a church as as it happens
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah so i'd love to i'd love to hear then um what what are some of the things you think are beautiful about the christian reformed church about our history or or another way we ask that question or what are what are some of the strengths or things you appreciate about the christian reformed church
1: yeah there's so many things actually i um so So full disclosure, I I came here with show and tell. So I just read this book. Well, I should say um, uh, we just read this book, De Colonne, The Church That God Transplanted by Marian Schoolin. Have you guys ever seen this book before about like the history of the CRC? So it came out uh, in the 1970s. Marian Schoolin, she had written like a little kid's devotional but I know that my grandma had read to my dad um, back, you know, in the fifties. So, but uh, we, when we gather around the table, we always read different books and we just read this with the kids. And, um, and also this other book that was my brother, who's sort of uh, going through his library and packing, this is a hundred, years in the new world, um, the CRC Centennial, uh, back in um, when they celebrated their 100 years in 1957. So I just finished reading these two books, actually. And I was um, so blessed to be reminded of this, um, of some of the strengths that I think our denomination has historically had. Uh, there, There was this Fierce loyalty to the word of God, you know, and to say we live with an antithesis um, in the world like like we our boat. Yes, is in the world. It's in the water of the world. But we're not going to. we're going to be careful about having too much of the world get in the boat because because if too much of the world gets in the boat, we're sunk, right? And so, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there were some problems with that. There was probably some self-righteousness. It was probably some legalism. Um, But yet I think there was something really beautiful. And, like, um, there was a a backbone to the faith of our fathers and mothers that said um, we are going to— live different and look different with our Sunday practices with how we get together. Whenever we have our table time together, we're going to read scripture and, um, and we are going to um, um, sacrifice in, in ways that uh, are, that, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to use the word because it might sound, like too pious, but, but I think it was a motivating factor, this word holy, like Mm -hmm. just being set apart. And, uh, I, I think that to our detriment, we've lost some, some of that strength. I think, um, something that I didn't realize was in our story, um, that this book kind of brought out was, how much the the early offskiding folks loved to sing the psalms, like mm. the worship was um, not just a Sunday thing, but it really was part it kind of woven into the fabric of of their family life. and um I think that's a beautiful strength. And I think that um, missions for the early um well, and I think it still is going. Today, you know, I'm sitting in a place that that the the original missionaries who um, had uh, this burning desire to share the word of God, um, you know, they were still learning the English language when I mean th- themselves when they came down and they learned the Navajo language, which I, I have a linguist friend uh, in this area. He knows 19 different languages. Some of the hard, you know, clickety like the, the I think it's called Kosian languages in, in Africa he knows. Um and yet he says Navajo is like one of the Mount Everest of the languages. It's really, wow. really difficult to read. And you go back to these early synod reports and you read that Kosia Hartog mm-hmm. was singing Navajo lullabies to the kids mm-hmm. in the boarding school, you know, and I just so respect the fact that these um you know, in a denomination that wasn't even 30 years old, there was this vision to, um, to spread the gospel. Um, Even, even when that meant like sacrificing all your comforts, learning a whole new language, going to a place that felt like going to the moon, you know, um, that really impresses me. And I think it's a huge strength. And I think it is still something that that baton has been, passed down. There's an energy in our denomination for, for missions. Um, Yeah. And so in terms of strengths in our current kind of denomination, this gets a little bit to what you were saying, Jason, earlier, but um, I think you were saying about sort of how you, you take for granted this gift that you have and then, and then you recover it. Um, I was thinking about the the, the story of how the law got lost between the kingships of Hezekiah and Josiah, right? And mm-hmm. so for 60 years, it's like or sometime in that 60 year time frame, you know, it gets it gets uh hidden away in the temple and it collects dust. And here the people of God have this amazing treasure. And uh it wasn't until Josiah did those repairs that they rediscover it. And it was it was such an exciting time of renewal and revival. And I wonder if something like that is happening in our own denomination right now with some of this ferment that you see in the vibe project and with the messy reformation and just in other grassroots areas um, in the denomination where it's like, like, we have a precious treasure. Um Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit, you know, guard the precious treasure <laughs> that, that mm-hmm. you were given. And, and maybe maybe we took it for granted and maybe it's getting dusted off a little bit. And we realize, hey, um, we're rediscovering in our confessions, um, in the word of God itself, like what what a treasure we have that was passed to us.
0: That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Laura Copley. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.